0: That's heritageradio.network.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by 100 Bogart Street. Do you need a conference room for your next meeting? Learn more by visiting 100Bogart.com.
2: This is Jimmy Carboni, the host of Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I've been a part of the HRN community for 10 years. After all that time, I'm constantly inspired by the incredible voices of our network. Each week, I record my show in the HRN studio because I'm excited to bring you, our listeners, the most important stories from the world of beer, food, cider, and more. All of us here at HRN make food radio because we love it. This year, HRN is celebrating its 10th anniversary, but we need your support to keep Food Radio going strong for the next decade. Join the HRN community today by becoming a member. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate right now. You can even show some love for my show by selecting Beer Sessions in the designation drop-down menu. Thanks for listening to HRN.
3: Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and we're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, July 3rd, 2019. This is the 220th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the co-founder and policy director of a food recovery and hunger nonprofit organization based in New York City, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, we will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solar dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to recycle. Do your part to help reduce pollution caused by waste. Sure, we have all heard this before and know it's good practice, but it's good to be reminded. Recycling is not only beneficial to our communities, but it helps protect the environment by reducing landfill, conserving natural resources, saving energy, and more. Metal, glass, plastic, cartons, paper, cardboard, and food can all be recycled. So help make the world a better place to live and be a recycler. That's my tip today. Now, I'm really happy to have my guest here with me in the studio because she lives in Copenhagen. She's in Brooklyn right now. Her name is Evelyn Kim. She's the co-founder and policy director of Rethink Food NYC, a nonprofit organization working to recover nutritious excess food to provide low or no-cost meals to New York City families in need. Trained in the history of science with a specialization in food science and environment, Evelyn has written articles in academic and public media settings, including Scientific American and The Atlantic. She has also worked as a su- sustainability consultant and educator for restaurants, including Noma and Amas in Copenhagen, and she has given lectures at a number of institutions, such as NYU, the CIA, and Neknish Museum in Oslo. So welcome to the show.
4: Thanks, Jerry, for inviting me.
3: Thanks for being here. I love I love this. Um, we met we met in Copenhagen at the Mad Conference. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's it's really I'm really excited to learn more about what you're doing because I think it's it's really important and fantastic. Thank you. So I always like to start with my guests uh, about how they got into what they do today. And so and do you want to share a bit about your background?
4: Uh, yeah, it's really funny because I get asked by students. Culinary professionals, you know, uh, consultants all the time. Well, how did you get to do what you do? And I always joke. I said, please, don't take the route I did because <laughs> it will take you forever to get here. Um, originally, I was uh, interested in um, sociology of science. I, I started out my career after college in uh, doing public health uh, lobbying in in the United States and, uh, and um, at the congressional level. And after that, I decided that I wanted to go to graduate school. What ended up happening was that I started to be more and more interested in the intersection between science, uh, society, and uh, the food part came as part of an issue in terms of thinking about public health. And so the issue with AIDS, obviously, you know, God's love we deliver. There's a bunch of other organizations that are interested in in dealing with nutritional um, deficiencies as well as catering to specialized uh, populations. Getting into history of science was uh was through basically my uh, graduate school training. So I was in a program that had sociology, philosophy, and history of science. So basically, I looked at kind of larger issues surrounding science and agriculture in the 19th century. So basically, my food issues was originally um, it's been always kind of split between public health and. Uh, history of science um, and agriculture. In terms of how I got into this was basically in term I moved to Copenhagen uh, because my partner was there, and uh, after doing a uh, quite a bit of consulting in terms of public health, I've also done some environment consulting for OECD, I decided that I want to go back to academic writing because I had missed doing the research. And uh, what I had found was that I started a blog, and the blog all of a sudden got some wings and quite a few followers. Uh, basically, the blog was, and this was in the aughts when people actually read blogs. <laughs> <laughs> back
3: in the day. Yeah, back
4: in the day. When people uh, read. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On things, exactly. Um, was that I really wanted to bring people who were culinary professionals, people who were foodies, people who are in the, interested in the environment and people who are interested in public health because they all had a common, a common understanding of what food was, but given their own interests, if they learned to work together, they could make basically change, make monumental changes in the food system in a way that they were being siloed at the time. So, the the blog really was the the joke was well I'm going to give you a lecture, but you'll get a recipe at the end. So, <laughs> so uh, that kind I guess of, you're a cook too. Yes. Uh, yep. Uh, did a lot of cooking. Um, yeah. So. What ended up happening was that um, I started doing some uh, basic lectures. Uh, one of the things I did was I did, because I miss lecturing, I uh, Did lectures um, at NOMA and various other uh, restaurants on uh, history of science and science sustainability, food issues, um, things like, you know, at St. John's about like history of the English pig, or, you know, uh, at NOMA, it was basically, you know, deep geologic time in Nordic Tawar. So getting chefs to understand why the products are the way they are and why they have the specific products that they do, given the kind of geographical and geological history of the area. Um, That's how I got to meet Renee. And then I got to meet a whole bunch of other people. What ended up happening was I was still continuing to publish. I was writing quite a bit. um, And I was asked to help out at uh, the opening of a mass restaurant with their uh, sustainability program and certainly with a little bit of PR. um, And that rolled into a program looking, helping out with food waste environment, taking a look at public service. So we did a farm-to-table program for for children. Um, After four years, I decided I I really wanted to go back to doing uh, more research, more NGO work. Um, I mean, you know, my mission was accomplished. And what happened was that um, I had had done a consultancy at the New York Academy of Medicine for um, their... Food science and nutrition programs. Um, I obviously, through my time, I have met quite a few chefs when you work in the restaurant industry and certainly when you work with um, people who are uh, interested in food uh, studies topics. You meet quite a few chefs. One of them was a friend of mine, Matt Jaswiak. We had worked together. I uh, He was working as a chef at 11 Madison Park um, and we had known each other from Chicago. And basically, he and I had you know, one night just cooked up. We're like, Hey, why don't we try this? You know, why there's so much waste, blah, blah, blah. You know, what can we do about it? And, and he said, Hey, what if we try to find a food recovery program to take the waste and, you know, feed the homeless or feed other indigenous populations? And I, you know, my first thing that came to my mind was like, Oh my God, you're nuts. This is crazy. Uh, simply due to the amount of regulatory issues um, in terms of food safety. There's also, it's incredibly capital intensive. It's really expensive. How are you going to distribute this? Who, who, uh, just <laughs> insurance, insurance alone. Questions <laughs> and questions. Exactly. Yeah. So um, basically the organization pretty much started out with that. We started a pilot program and, and we figured out, whoa, wait a second, this can be done. And then from there, we just kind of ran with it.
3: Amazing. So just as far as timeline-wise around when was this conversation and when did you move to Copenhagen? And also, where did you grow up? Did you grow up here in New York? Yeah, i was um, going back yeah, a little. With yeah, that. I was about to say,
4: I uh, grew up uh, in Chicago most of my years. I okay. was born in Korea. So, okay. But um, I've spent a significant amount of time in New York. Um, I have friends here. My family's here. So uh,
3: that's, you know, for me, it's a part of my life. <laughs> yeah, and I'm curious where Matt worked there because I lived in Chicago in the late 90s. Oh. And I, I was a server at Charlie Trotter. Ah, uh, I have a funny story about Charlie Trotter. <laughs> uh, basically, he's the one who gave me my first, uh,
4: shall we say, tongue lashing for a blog post <laughs> I had
3: Oh, really? It. I've uh, taken it
4: away since then. But
3: oh <laughs> no, put it back up now. Yeah, oh, wow. it was, you know, Yeah,
4: it was really funny. But um, but yeah, I mean, uh, that entire. So I met Matt because he was working through. Uh, I met. Them through basically uh, Michael um, Carlson from Schwa. Oh, okay. And that entire bunch. So oh, obviously, you know, yeah. Chicago's a small community. You know, a lot of people worked the Charters, a lot of people worked with uh, Adelinea. Oh. I mean, they all kind of right. cycled yeah. through and. Yeah so that's kind, how of, it.
3: kind of like copenhagen I yes, guess. yes yes right? yes
4: exactly so copenhagen um it's been 15 years
3: okay yeah so there long yeah time.
4: exactly but i've it's been on and off uh i've traveled quite a bit uh due to my partner has been teaching for quite a bit of time so we've taken sabbatical on various other countries and i've always been mobile so that's yeah. you know it's it's worked out but in terms of the in terms of Geography, I, I do think that the, the route that I've taken has given me a perspective on food in very, very different ways. Um, whether it be from a lens of, you know, American uh, food systems, the way that Europeans look at it, the changes in the years I've been in Copenhagen in terms of its food industry has been phenomenal.
3: Oh yeah. I mean, I've just, I've experienced it a bit and seen it, but you're, you're in it. I mean, like over 15 years, you've, you've seen a tremendous amount of change and you've been a part of it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is something that I would have never have predicted. I I don't think, I mean, the work that I do now, if you asked me 15 years ago, what would you, what would you imagine
3: yourself doing? I would have no idea. I, this would not be it. <laughs> yeah, well, same, same for me. My my path wasn't carved out, and it just sort of has happened. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, my as I said, it's been
4: a, a bit wayward. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of people, what's been really, really great to see, and this is especially with students, are now taking their culinary careers, especially if they're in hospitality or in the restaurant industry, and they're saying, okay, how can I use my skill set to do something that's just not, Merely hospitality related or using hospitality as a lever for social change. And I think it's amazing, absolutely amazing. And that's a, an awareness that I have, I don't think 10, 15 years ago mm-hmm. that people would have imagined.
3: No, I agree. Okay, let's take a little break here and then we're going to come back and we'll talk a lot more about Rethink Food NYC. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network.
1: This episode was brought to you by 100 Bogart, a new building in Bushwick, Brooklyn, with meeting and event spaces available for on-demand booking. Looking for the next perfect outdoor location for your next gathering? Host your next event at 100 Bogart's impressive rooftop, just steps away from the Morgan L-stop. It's one of the largest and tallest roof spaces in Bushwick, boasting 360-degree views of Brooklyn, Manhattan, and Queens. 100 Bogart's rooftop is available for your next networking event, fundraiser, special performance, or photo shoot. There's approximately 5,000 square feet, ample space for up to 100 guests. For more information on hosting an event at 100 Bogart's rooftop, email info at 100bogart.com or call 718 362 3539.
0: Alive.
3: We'll take time. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Evelyn Kim. She's the co-founder and policy director of Rethink Food NYC, which is a nonprofit or nonprofit organization upcycling excess food to distribute meals to underserved communities in New York City. So, Evelyn, you, you mentioned this conversation that you had, had with Matt, and, and, and that just, that from, that, from there, it, it happened. You created, you created this organization. So, what, what year was that, and, and how, I mean, how did, how did it happen? So, <laughs> so uh,
4: I, we officially launched. October, uh, 2017. So, okay. but however, obviously in terms of the mechanics of dealing, if anyone has done any paperwork in terms of NGOs, it's, a, it's not a difficult process, but it is a time consuming process. And, uh, given the amount of risks and the uh, logistics of what we were doing, it was absolutely critical that we got all the steps right. Um, from a food safety perspective, from trust with our dining uh, with our dining partners, with the community service organizations, from restaurants, I mean, there was an enormous amount of risk that everyone had, and often at times restaurants would basically say, "Oh, well, we can't donate this food because you know of food safety issues," and. T- It's not correct. I think a lot of people do it because they don't want to deal with the liability. But there is a law that was done in 1997, uh, the Bill Emerson Good Samaritan Food Act, which basically allows organizations, businesses, uh, grocers, retailers, uh, restaurants to donate their excess food to nonprofit institutions and be able to distribute them without having any liability on the donor or -hmm. the recipient. So having that lifted is a huge huge, huge burden off of both the people that are the organizations as well as that of the restaurants. This is not to suggest, however, that there still isn't um, a huge amount of risk. Um, There's a reputational risk, obviously, if a restaurant feels that, you know, their food has been, um, you know, somehow they're through no fault of their own, that, that, you know, they've gotten some issues with food poisoning, so on and so forth. So it's for us, our you know, there were a number of different steps that we had to take to ensure that the food was safe. The food was also delicious. And also that there were people that were willing to take
3: it and willing to take a risk on us. Right. So you, you found those people. Yes. Um, and, and, and I don't, I'm not even, I was thinking with you, with, um, listening to you talk too, that I remember several years ago, I went to Dan Barber had his, he did a pop-up at, uh, Blue Hill Stone Barns though well not Stone Barns he did it at Blue Hill in oh, the wow. city um, called Wasted. That's right. And it I went I dined there and it was it was it was wonderful and I was very impressed with what he was doing and and it was delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you do you do any work with Dan or is uh, that Dan?
4: Uh, Dan he is aware of our work,
3: but yeah. it's also at the same time he because he
4: runs Blue Hill. They run on a very very different model, and the the great thing about Wasted was that it gave a huge amount of of public
3: information and education. It did, and the, the, the way- menu itself. The whole back of the menu was, yeah, no, I, I, I thought that was, that was great. And the thing is this, the
4: idea that people could say, hey, you, it's, you can make delicious food. And if you start thinking holistically about your ingredients, you could start doing things that not only are an opportunity for you as a chef to uh, not waste food, you know, save money, but also at a time, it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And it's a challenge, a creative challenge, and a creative challenge that I think a lot of chefs, it's, you know, once again, I mean, I think Rene Redzepi probably has put it best, you know, you don't really know what you're capable of unless you put some constraints on yourself. And once again, if you put the constraints on, okay, I'm only going to use X, Y, Z ingredients, nothing else. How am I going to make, you know, how am I going to make sure that I waste nothing? That's hard.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So, but you found partners, and I, I believe Eleven Madison Park has been supportive. Oh my God, they've been amazing. <laughs> which,
4: uh, which amazing. is, um, which is amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Will and 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 Daniel, I we couldn't have done so much of the work without them and their support, and we are incredibly grateful. Uh, what's been great about both Daniel and and will is that they gave us a platform to be able to talk to their friends, the industry in general, and just say, hey, this is a really, really great program. For us, the issue was not merely just an environmental one. I mean, food waste has been incredibly incredibly popular as a, as a topic for the food industry. It's kind of the uh, topic du jour. However, <laughs> uh, um, I mean, hunger, obviously, is, is an issue as well. But being able to put those two together and to be able to say, okay, within a larger food systems perspective, how can we solve both problems that are inherent in the system that we have? So on one hand, you have Cheap food, on the other hand, you have, you know, restaurants that are, that are basically using some of the top ingredients, and yet nobody, there is this entire population that is not being fed, or not, and those ingredients are out of reach to them. So basically, in terms of rethink, the, you know, we always have our mantra, which is basically that everyone has the right to delicious, nutritious food. We are allowing, everyone should be able to get that food regardless of where you are on the income spectrum, regardless of what your status is. So the idea that somehow that I think for a lot of the chefs, it forced them to think a bit differently about like, okay, how are we using our food? What could we do differently? And also from from a purely economic point of view, your food costs go down. Uh, they, a lot of them realized like, oh my God, we waste, you know, or, you know, we have so much excess at the end of the night. What are we going to do with this? And I know with one of our partners within three weeks, they realized like we can order 20% less. So on the other hand, on one hand, they were able to, you know, reduce their food costs. But on the other hand, they were able to be more environmentally sustainable and still maintain their margins. So for restaurants, it's not just an environmental concern. There's certainly uh, an economic concern. On the other hand, being able to donate money to us, say, you know, for the hospitality industry, it's so important to take care of people.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: And what way can you take care of people? Well, you can take care of people by feeding them. So it allows them to do what they know best to be able to help populations in need. At the same time, being able to help the environment, so it's a, it's a fulcrum where they're able to do both things at the same time without thinking of them as either or. They're actually doing both.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So how does the how does rethink? How do you guys, you you how does the process work of your team with collecting the food and then and then.
4: It's yeah, it's a lot of work. Um, it's a simple, <laughs> it's, con- it's it, different it, parts. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It's a simple concept, but it's, it, it's, compli- it's, I wouldn't say complicated. It just takes, it's a lot of moving parts to execute. So, you know, every night, um, we have a bunch of restaurant partners and we pick up from them and the food is, you know, properly chilled. It's all inventory. The next morning, uh, the, we have three chefs and, uh, they are three or four. It's, three right now three four three four depending upon depending upon uh the inflow of food basically they uh turn them into dishes so a good example is let's say we have roast vegetables that could be made into a salad that could be made into a soup that could be we've had risotto uh i mean the food is phenomenal because a lot of it is because the food quality that we get right. is phenomenal. Yeah, no, And good, so good delicious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good products. And so, I mean, this is the stuff you'd be paying $20 a quart at Whole Foods for. Right. And the fact that we're able to be able to feed people this food that, that is absolutely delicious at the same time because they're high quality ingredients, they're nutritionally dense, they're able to not waste that food. So what one of the bigger problems in... In at least in terms of food recovery, is that if you have food that isn't of very high quality, it just ends up being kicked down, that no one will eat it, gets kicked down the food chain and goes into landfill. This way, if people are actually consuming the food, you are cutting down on food waste. And, you know, basically, when was the last time you
3: didn't eat, you didn't finish a delicious meal? Yeah, no, I'm I'm guilty of that, yeah. and I, I I see I being in this industry you're going to a lot of events and just being, yeah, I there's a lot of food waste, and I, I mean that you guys are, uh, have come up with a solution, yeah, <laughs> and so then so then what. Um, How is it distributed? So we work with community service
4: organizations across the city. Uh, Brooklyn Angels, uh, North Brooklyn Angels is one example. We've worked with Borrowing Mission. Mission. Uh, And basically, it's a 24-hour turnaround. So the food is exceedingly fresh. That food is not sitting around. It is cooked to order. Um, It's, as I said, we've had some feedback from our... From our partners saying this is some of the best food we've ever gotten. You know, it's absolutely delicious. The are the, the people that we serve absolutely are grateful and they absolutely love eating yeah. what we're eating. And I'm sure. which you know points to a question about well, as both as a hunger organization, what are we aiming for, right? So, in terms of dealing with food insecurity. When you start thinking about food insecurity as less of an issue about just getting calories, but thinking about nutrition, thinking about flavor, thinking about taste, it changes the conversation about what,
3: what, and how we should be doing to alleviate hunger. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm so impressed with what you're doing. I think it's I think it's incredible. Let's uh, let's 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 hear from Ellen Bennett. Because I asked her to ask you a question, she was on my show last week. She is the founder of Headley and Bennett, which is an LA-based handcrafted apron company, and uh, we're gonna play back what what she'd like to know.
5: Wow, that is a that's a doozy of a question. I feel like I want to ask her so many things. I would say, you know, as a as a business owner, that. You know, we have almost close to 50 employees. What I would want to know, like, what does she suggest businesses to do to help contribute in some way? Whether it's, you know, when we throw events and we have extra food, like, what should people do as business owners to connect to a local food drive, etc., to not waste food when they have any sort of activity happening there? Because I, anytime I see food go to waste, it's just like, oh kills me and I, I want to know what her thoughts would be on just give us some tips on what we should do uh,
4: first and foremost get in touch with local community food banks see if they are uh, they are which ones are willing to take food that has been that has uh, like if you're a catering event for example say hey would you be willing to take The food that we have at the end of the evening is perfectly serviceable. It's perfectly healthy. It's just that we have some excess at the end of the evening. We don't want it to go to waste. Um, There's an organization in New York City called Rescuing Leftover Cuisine that is good with restaurants. And at the end of the day, they have a system of being able to take food from restaurants and deliver it to individual homeless shelters. Uh, They're a fantastic organization. Other ones are larger food banks. If you take a look at, let's say... um, the, uh, in DC, their uh, central kitchen, DC Central Kitchen has a fantastic program. They will take program. They will take food. It's it's a question of doing some legwork. Um, I think that a lot of cities have food policy councils, and a lot of them often have links and resources that you could talk to to say, "Hey, I'm interested in donating this food," or I, or even if you are really really uh, proactive about it, you could say before your event is there a partner you could work with and say, Hey, people like to do it. And that way you can take a look and say, okay, there's a plan. You can actually donate the food. And it's not this oh last minute, like, Oh my God, we have all this food. What are we going to do? It does require some, uh, some thought, but also at the same time, I mean, I think all these issues in terms of dealing with food waste and especially as a business, um, it, it does require thought. I mean, running a business requires thought it's, you know, you don't do anything last minute. You anticipate things. So I think for businesses, um, a lot of the ways of thinking about it is, is really start to think holistically about your products or start thinking holistically about the way that you use food or what you're going to have at the end and think about, well, how can you make sure that it doesn't get into landfill? So start thinking about, you know, ways of the pockets that the low hanging fruit that you can take. And even things like bottles of water, you could donate that to shelters. For example, you know, earlier uh, last year, there was the Flint water crisis. If you are at an event, uh, if you are, uh, and have an event and, you're, and you have a location, they have tons of water, what are they going to do with that extra water? No one wants to haul it back. Yeah. You can obviously donate it to a place or things like, you know, utensils. Um, so if you have, deal with missions, they often have, you know, they can't give out forks and knives, so can you give out things like you know, forks, uh, disposable, even though it's really, really uncomfortable to be dealing with that, but you're serving a need.
3: Yeah, no great tips. I mean, I, I go to so many events and I feel there are so many that have recycling set up, or even I was at Aspen food and wine and they have, you know, they have people, volunteers stationed in front of their garbages, which have compost and waste and recycle. And they are helping people decide where to throw their garbage so because people don't know is what you find you you see people go over to these these stations and they and it's it's wonderful that there's someone there directing people where to throw your trash and so I see that now I'm so impressed and then sometimes I go to invest events and there's not recycling and there's a lot of food waste and it's frustrating I think some of this is the or what I'm getting is it's like the thinking before, it's just putting in the, the thought process before the event to plan, and then it can be executed. But, it's, but you got to take that step.
4: Yes, you got to take that step. I mean, obviously, there's another way that they can be done, which is, uh, for example, in France, they just put in a food waste law saying that no business can, uh, all their food either must be donated— or must be uh, composted or put into other by bi- um, basically other organic waste and so you what uh, are the issues though is that France they've been great in terms of cutting that food waste but they didn't think about the logistics of executing like what does that mean for food banks do they need to have more refrigerators so on and so forth so is as, as far as we're I mean we're really trying to create a very very different model yeah of, of and and it requires a lot more capital and a lot more money, but in the end we all end up saving the environment and we also end up dealing with better public health outcomes so it's it's a question of what where do you want to put your money? do you want to, mm-hmm. do, you know do you want to put it in now or do you want to put it in later? yeah, you know it's a short term long term question
3: yeah no, it's a great answer before we take a break, just so um talk a little bit what are your what what are rethinks plans for the future are you looking to expand to other cities do you want to work with events or is it more restaurant focused
4: uh we're it's more restaurant focused for now simply because of consistency yeah um you know events are obviously if we have a heads up that's great but it's uh it's always difficult uh in terms of when we have people call us last minute it, because we have trucks it's if you can imagine just trying to get through New York City with three trucks, trying to pick up food with restaurants that are all closing at 10.
3: I can't... It's hard enough just to get cross town by yourself. Yeah, exactly. You're better off walking. Exactly.
4: Yeah, I I just wonder sometimes, I'm like, should we all have scooters or something? No. not a bad idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, But either Zip (laughs) Zipline? Zipline. But in terms of dealing with the... With events, I mean, we are planning on doing a distribution center. So uh, we have thought, okay, let's take a look at a community that which we can start donating food so people can come at any time uh, so there's flexibility in time. One of the issues about food insecurity is not just an issue of nutrients and hunger. It's also a question of you know, it's problems of poverty. So it's, can you, do you have a grocery store near you? How long does it take? If you're running two jobs, can you get extra food? Your snap balance runs out. Like there's so many other issues. So we're trying to take a look at those other issues as well, in terms of dealing, not just with hunger, but dealing with all the other issues that are related to poverty that we,
3: that, that food banks in and of itself cannot solve. Awesome. I mean congratulations to you. It's 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 I'm I'm so glad you guys had that conversation and are are putting in the work and doing this. It's it's very impressive. Okay, so let's take a break and we will come back and we'll play my speed round and then we'll talk some uh, industry news. This is all in the industry and heritage radio network.
6: Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. My name is Michael Harlan Turkel, and I'm the host of The Food Scene here on HRN. This show explores the intersection of food, art, and design by talking to people who are inspired by these ideas. The show features food photographers, food stylists, interior designers, and so much more, all the players that make the world so visually delicious. You can find The Food Scene wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org.
5: sleep just to wake up
0: still I don't
3: want to go to bed welcome back to only industry on heritage radio network I'm Sherry Bayer my guest today is Evelyn Kim and it's time for my speed round game I think you're going to be good at this. Oh, boy. (laughs) So what it is is I name two or more things, and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Got it. Okay, so here we go. Eat in or eat out. Is there a both option? There are no rules to the game. I would say both. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Cocktail. Tasting menu or a la carte. Tasting. Small plates or large plates? Small plates. Communal table or chef's counter.
4: Ooh, that's tough. Hmm. Nerd me says chef's table, but social me says communal table?
3: okay so i guess it depends who shows up that night (laughs) yeah exactly
4: it depends who my dining partner is as well
3: (laughs) okay all right a couple a couple more tipping or all-inclusive charge all-inclusive charge coffee collective prologue coffee or democratic coffee or any other coffee in copenhagen that you like
4: Oh, that's so unfair. Oh, I I, 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 love, I... I love them all. I love them all for different things and different reasons.
3: Okay. I, I wasn't... I, I decided not to to challenge you with the restaurant one. I thought maybe you had a favorite coffee spot there. Because I've been to all of those. And yeah, they're all fantastic.
4: Um, Well, it depends on if I am drinking coffee solo. Am I meeting someone? Or am I... Do I need something to eat?
3: So... Let's say um, I'm in town, and we're meeting in the afternoon, and we might snack with our coffee, but we're just, we're really just having a catch-up coffee date.
4: Catch-up coffee date. Okay, so I would say Anderson and Maillard is fantastic. They uh, Yes, and they, I've been there, too. Yeah, they make great, and... Uh, the great pastries and the coffee's fantastic. Uh the other place would be uh, it's not really a place. However, you could get your coffee over at um, Heart Bakery. Uh, oh,
3: that was the one over by um Amas, right? Uh no, no. No,
4: that's Lilla Bakery, oh, which okay. is also Oh, Lila Bakery's oh, great Heart. too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, Lila ba- Bakery is great because it's just it's right by Amas. It's it's super cute. It's in a great yeah. location. Uh, you could also go to Um, La Bacina, which is also near a mess and you can actually be by the water, it's super cute Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, the thing is this, you're not in any shortage for good coffee (laughs) in the city Um, you know, other places are like oh, where can I get a good cup of coffee for the most part, you know, in Copenhagen if you're a coffee junkie, you will be uh, you're just um, you have too many choices
3: (laughs) Yes, and that was that broke our our speed, but that was uh, valuable information, and and uh, you stayed, um, uh, I guess, democratic with it without getting yeah. getting in trouble. Um, okay, we'll do a few more. How about biking or driving or any other mode of transportation? Oh, biking. That's yeah. yeah, hands down, biking. Cheese plate or dessert?
4: I like cheese plate. However, I have a bizarre allergy to some dairy products. Therefore, I have unfortunately had to turn down cheese plate for particular cheeses. And thus, I will have to eat dessert.
3: So that is a modified answer. (laughs) You have to eat dessert. Okay. Last one is Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Copenhagen. Oh, God. Not again.
4: Sorry. (laughs) You toughies. Yeah. um, Right now, I, I... definitely would say Copenhagen. Um, I mean, as much as I love New York City and it's great to be here all mm-hmm. the time. I mean, yeah. I'm traveling constantly here. Um, I, I think that the way that the Copenhagen community and the restaurant and food scene has worked together
3: is the way of the future. I think it's fantastic. It's an amazing city, I'm lucky. I wanna go back, I've been twice now, very recently. You're always welcome. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And I love biking there. I bike in the city too, but it's not the same.
4: Oh, on, well, biking <laughs>
3: in the city in New York—it's—I like to call it frogger. Except you have one life. <laughs> yeah, it's—it's it's, you got to be on alert. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, that was great. Okay, so for industry news, picked out an article that was on Grub Street a couple days ago, and it was written by Adam Platt, the reviewer for Grub Street. And the title was uh, Dinner with the Disciples, Our Critic Joins, The Mold-Eating Cult of the World's Leading Culinary Demigod. So what is he talking about? He's talking about how Jeff Gordon-Air convinced him to go out to NOMA recently. And, I mean, the art, it was interesting read because, uh, you know, Adam Platt comes in. He's, he's pretty, I guess, skeptical or, you know, uh, kind of calling it the NOMA heads and kind of like... What is this? And it's like a cult that follows Renee Redzepi and Noma. Um I got the from reading it, though. I think you know, he. he I think he, I don't know if he joined the cult, but he's definitely enjoyed his experience, and and I think um, recognizes why the restaurant is so special and everything about it what they're doing. Um, that was my take. What was what was your take? I think for I, I I echo
4: a lot of those sentiments. I think for a lot of people who. I mean, the totality of NOMA and the way that they think about food and the dining experience, it's not just what you see on your plate, it's how it got there, the the amount of thought that was put behind it, Um, the way that their team works together. It's really a very, very different way of thinking about hospitality. And in terms of uh, just on the food level, it requires you to be able to think outside the box. They really want to push it with you. Mm -hmm. If you are open to that experience, it's fantastic. It's also something that requires you to have a little thought. Luckily, with Noma, deliciousness is always the first thing. So it's even though you could be someone who just likes hot dogs... And then eat a delicious meal because it's tasty and it's, it's, or you could be, you know, the scientist and say, oh my God, how did you do this? How did, it, how did this come about? What were you thinking? Or you could be the food critic and say, okay, given conceptually, you know, how does this fit in? How do these pl- courses play against each other? I mean, there are so many different ways in the fact that you have a restaurant that is able to, able to incite all those different levels at once. It's the sign of, you know, a restaurant that is able to do extraordinary things. Not all restaurants can do that.
3: I agree. I I'm very fortunate. I dined there last uh what was it? August, September for yeah. the Mad conference and it was the vegetable mm-hmm. menu. I and I had not been to Noma 1.0, so it was my first experience. And it was it was the food was was delicious, the presentations, but as you're saying, it's beyond that the hospitality, the the space also, I mean, what they, they designed that the new restaurant and the greenhouses and, and the fermentation labs and just the whole property, the gardens, it's, it's unbelievable. And, um, it's special. And I think, yeah, it would be, I, of course, I'm one of those people who wants to go back for the other menus, which they, they change, uh, three times a year but i think that's one thing he was comparing when he you know they say the noma heads were kind of compared to the dead uh the, uh, the dead grateful heads. dead the Deadheads, because they're the de- the dead was known for never playing the same set and noma's known for like never playing the same set the ne- you're never going to get the same dishes so um it's it, a cool it's a cool comparison and i i don't know i'm i'm in awe of what they do and also the fact that these chefs like like Matt Orlando and Christian Baum, and they've all they've all come from there, and then, and Renee supported them, and they are now doing amazing things, like like Amas, which you worked on.
4: Yeah, I that's the most amazing thing. I mean, the sense of community is just yeah. everyone. It's like look, you know, rising tide raises all boats, and that's exactly. I mean, Renee has been incredibly generous to all the people, and he said, look, this isn't just about me, this is about an entire culinary community. And, you know, it's so easy, especially in a place like in Manhattan, where it's so competitive. It's very, very hard. It's very easy to lose sight of the fact that, look, we're all in it together. And when you have a space like Noma that, that is so generous with their time, information, you know, uh, with, you know, having the stages come in, like, it's really something that is, as I said, a model to think about in terms of, What do we want the
3: hospitality and restaurant industry to be in the future? Yeah, true. Well, um, congratulations to NOMA, too. They were just on the world's 50 best number two spot. They got back on the list. (laughs) 2.0. (laughs) removed. Yeah. So, um, okay, let's take one more break. We're going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience, and we'll have the final question. This is all in the industry on Heritage Radio Network. You fall for it
5: That you can never just live The way you wish
2: Did you find For you and I A reason to be alive
5: Will take your time
3: Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at Sushi Nas. Here's the rundown. The location, 181 East 78th Street, New York, New York. The concept, a high-end seasonal adome ed- sushi omakase. The chef, Nozumu Abe, who's otherwise known as Chef Nas. I guess it's Nazumu Nazomu Abe, sorry, and the owner is Josh Fulcare. So why would I go? Because I love sushi, and this place has received numerous accolades. And all of my industry friends were saying, "This, this is the place that you you want you want high end sushi. Go here." So, about a month ago, I booked a reservation on Talk, and uh, I picked a Friday, six o'clock. I figured. Uh, I'd like the earlier reservation. I picked a time I knew I'd be in in town, so I wouldn't have any conflicts. And um, because this is through talk, you pay a month in advance. So the reservation is paid for. I showed up. I was warmly greeted. I was seated at the chef counter, which has eight seats. they brought out the little white tablecloth to wash my hands, which I always, whenever that happens, I think every restaurant in the world should do this. I don't know why only Japanese restaurants do this, um, that's why I decided to mention it. Uh, I, d- I looked at the tea menu, and I ordered a tea, and the omakase experience began. Chef Naz came out, and he had one sous chef with him behind the counter. So what did I get? So it began with six otsu ma- bim- Otsumami courses, which included uni-steamed custard, bonito, and soft-shell crab. Then there were 15 pieces under the sushi title, and pieces included squid, fatty tuna, sea perch, and sea urchin. There was a soup, omelet, and grape. Uh, my tea was Miyabi Sencha, which it said a first spring release from Yame. And that was the dinner. My take, it was wow. I mean, it was you know, I went in with very high expectations and I have to say it exceeded them. It's something about, it's not just the, the quality of the food and the deliciousness, but watching Chef Naz prepare everything and his execution, it, it was attention to detail. It was just, it was really special. The ambiance is a beautiful, intimate room that's emulating the Sukiya style architecture. The centerpiece is has a 200-year-old hinoki wood sushi bar and ice chest, and that's where Chef Naz refrigerates his fish for the night. I'd say this dinner is perfect for any serious sushi lover. Interesting tidbit, Sushi Naz has received a Michelin star, and and Chef Naz trained in Sapporo City after high school at a Sapporo sushi restaurant, and then he moved to Tokyo where he spent years honing techniques for preparing this style of sushi. So, personal fun fact. Towards the end of dinner, I struck up a conversation with David, the owner, and uh, we, we had a lot in common. We're talking about dining solo and dining in Spain, and apparently he met Chef Nas when he was dining at Sushi Den in New York City, where he uh, he was working at the time and convinced him to open a restaurant, and the, the process took four years because everything there is handcrafted, and so this place opened about a year ago. The cost of the meal was $338, and that is including tax and gratuity and the tea that I ordered at the restaurant. Would I go back? Yes, I would splurge again. Uh, uh, the website is sushinaz.com. So there you go, my expensive sushi experience. <laughs> I, we all you have know, them. what's that? We all have them. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. In New York, we have such great sushi. We have so many really awesome places, and they're, you know, anyway. Uh, they're priced differently and this this is the higher end one but i see why so um that was that the final question it's time for so what this is is i'm going to ask you to ask a question for my next guest i'm having on executive chef michael anthony pastry chef miro uk uskovich I'm going to have to get that right on the next show. I think that's how he pronounces it. And former longtime GM Scott Reinhardt, And they're all of Gramercy Tavern, a contemporary seasonal American restaurant in New York City that's part of USHG. And they're celebrating their 25th anniversary this year, which is incredible. What a milestone. So to the Gramercy Tavern team, Evelyn, what would you like to ask them?
4: Oh, boy. Oh, first of all, I'd like to thank uh, Michael and his team because uh, we uh, pick up from Gramercy, and so. Uh, oh, awesome! And Michael has been such a huge supporter of what we do. I absolutely adore that man; adore him. And the uh, pastry chef makes the best cookies ever. Yes, uh, they're they're just a New York institution, just I, such a gem. Um, one but, of my favorite. Yeah, oh, I think everyone's favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question I would ask them is that. What did they see the next 25 years of Gramercy? What would they like to concentrate on, not only in terms of the food they produce, but also in terms of given US, uh, the, uh, the Union Square Hospitality Group's focus on staff development, what did they envision that to be 25 years from now in terms of being able to create sustainable lives for their chefs, for their hospitality servers, and for the people that, um, for the food that they create, and the obviously the the uh, farmers and the purveyors that they work with. Great
3: question! I will find out. Ooh, excited! <laughs> Sorry, <I'm> ex- Michael. <laughs> no, I'm excited that um, you know I I'll, I like I would like to think I. I you know, plan that out that, that you had that relationship and my shows went in this order on that purpose, but they, but just the, Serendipity. the, yes, exactly. Of it is that's, it's even better. So there you go. And that's the show. Thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing what your story and what you're doing. I, I, you know, I, I give you guys a lot of credit and I wish you much Much success in the future. I see big things happening. Thank you.
4: And, uh, yeah, if anyone's interested, please come on our website. Uh, I have to put the shameless plug. Yeah, Um, please do. Yeah, and uh, donate. We're a nonprofit. Uh, We're at... uh, Rethinkfood.nyc. Um, please go and check out if you want to know more details about our staff, how we, how many people we serve about food insecurity, about all sorts of other things. It's all on our website. And please donate because we're a nonprofit.
3: Oh, I didn't even... We didn't talk about that amazing spring gala you had at 11 oh, Madison Park. Oh, my
4: God. That was amazing. All I can say is I love Neil Patrick Harris. I, <laughs> I, I, if it weren't married to this, like, awesome guy, I, well, I'd be married to him. That is... If you were interested, but yeah, it was an amazing show and I can't thank the people. I mean, Chef Daniel, Will, the entire EMP staff, I, they were just absolutely incredible.
3: And you raised a, uh,
4: a lot. Yeah, $466,000 and <laughs> uh, let me get all Oh, 275000
3: <laughs> wow I'm, I'm, I'm glad I was reminded to, to, to bring that up because that's, that's impressive and yes people should go to your website and find out ways they can get involved and donate yes
4: please do not only donate but also volunteer we have a whole bunch of things
3: we everyone can help awesome well thank you thank you my guest today has been, has been Evelyn Kim she's the co-founder and policy director of rethink food NYC and as we said please go to her website find out more and you can also follow them and her on social media. At, on Instagram, it's at rethinkfood.nyc and at OmniEater. And you can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. Website's BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda, and thanks again to Evelyn, and thank you all for listening. I hope you have a wonderful 4th of July weekend, and I hope you tune in again next week. I will be back on Wednesday at 4 o'clock with another live show. Thanks.